you read the scriptures? You come before the text. Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel according to Mark. The Gospel according to Mark, the 11th chapter, beginning in verse 12. And it says, the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruits. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their hearts, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. The word of God to the people of God. Do you ever wonder what went wrong? I mean, seriously, do you ever wonder what happened to change the crowd so quickly? One moment, they're chanting his name. One moment, they're calling him their king. And it seems like just a few days later, they're calling for his death. One moment, the crowds are lining the streets, laying palm branches before Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem, proclaiming their loyalty to his kingdom. And yet, just a few days later, they're calling him a criminal. Crucify him. One day they're standing there shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And just a few days later, they're calling for his death. Have you ever wondered what went wrong? What changed in the minds of those crowds in those few short days? I mean, we know what they wanted him to do, right? They were practically calling him a king. You see, my friends, the Jewish people, they had faith in their God. And they recognized that their God made a promise to King David nearly a thousand years earlier. 
someone from your line will always sit on the throne. Amen. Oh, and we know that God fulfills His promises. Amen, church? Amen. Yes, we do. But here we are in the first century. And the Jewish people, they don't have a king. They don't have a throne. They don't have their kingdom. But they know God always fulfills His promises. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. So they know that they may not have a king now. But God will bring a king to them in the future. Yes, the Jewish people, they believe in their God. Their God would bring a king. And now here comes this Jesus. You see, the, the thing standing in the way of them from having a king, the, the thing standing in the way of the people from reestablishing their nation was that their land, even though they currently lived there, was occupied yeah. by the Romans. Yeah. Even though they lived there, it was not under their control. Their land, the land of Judah, it existed to serve the imperial purposes of the Roman Empire. And so if they're going to get this kingdom back, they're going to have to do something about the occupying force, aren't they? And so here comes Jesus into Jerusalem. And there have been some rumors, church. Oh, there have been some rumors that Jesus, he's not afraid of anybody. There have been some rumors, Jesus, he'll stand up to anybody. That's the kind of person we want in a king who's going to stand up to the Romans, Amen. Oh, and there are rumors that he's teaching the people, that he's calling the people back to Torah, that he's calling the people back to their God. That's the kind of thing we want in a leader. Am I correct, church? Yes, we are. My friends, there are rumors that he can even heal the sick, even raise the dead. That's the kind of person we want to follow. Amen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If there's someone we, we want leading us against the Romans, it's someone who can do all of that. Yes, we know what they want. They were calling him their king, and they didn't care who heard. In fact, the Gospel of Luke is going to tell us that at one point, the Pharisees even come to Jesus as the people are calling him, as the people are calling him their king, as they are proclaiming their loyalty to his kingdom. The Pharisees come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, quick, tell them to be quiet. Why were the Pharisees so afraid? Oh, yeah. Because once the Romans here. You see, here's the way the Romans handle rival claims to power. It is with sharp, pointy objects. They were uh, indiscriminately violent, we could say. Yeah, the Pharisees, they, they knew the danger. They knew how tense it was. But the people, they're rallying around Jesus. They are ready for him to come into Jerusalem and serve their purposes. And so Jesus comes through the crowd. The crowd calling him their king. The crowd proclaiming their undying loyalty to his kingdom. And Jesus walks into the temple. Oh, we all know what to expect next. Because the temple, that, that is the heart of the Jewish identity. The, the temple, that, that is the heart of the, of, of the Jewish faith. And he's coming into the temple for Passover. Passover, the celebration when the Jewish people remember God taking them as a group of slaves and turning them into a people. Oh, my friends, this is a very nationalistic holiday. This is a very nationalistic place, a very nationalistic time. It'd be like, like someone walking into Washington, D.C. on the 4th of July. And Jesus goes to the temple. You see, everyone knows what to expect now. Because when you make a stand, where do you start as the Jewish people? Oh, you always start in the temple, my friends. When the Jews had to resist Herod and the Romans, where did they make their stand? In the temple. When Judas Maccabeus had to drive out the oppressed Seleucid Empire of Judea, what was the first place he had to retake and cleanse? It was the temple. 
My friends, when Aristobulus made his stand against Pompeii, where did he do it? The temple. When Judas had to make his stand against Antiochus Euphidor, anyone who knows Jewish history knows when you make a stand against the foreign invaders, it always begins in the temple. And so Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the people calling him a king. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the people proclaiming their loyalty to his kingdom, and he goes into the temple. What are we all expecting? Oh, we are expecting Jesus to set up that kingdom, right? We're expecting Jesus to throw out those Romans, am I correct? We are expecting Jesus to make his stand when Jesus enters the temple. But here's the thing. The Gospel of Mark gives us a rather important detail. We shouldn't miss it. In verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything... He left for Bethany with the twelve since it was getting late. Can you imagine that? The people calling his name. They're chanting his name. They're proclaiming loyalty to his kingdom. He walks into the temple and everyone's waiting. Quick, go get the swords. The revolution has begun. Jesus walks in. He looks around. He sees. He says, come on guys. It's getting late. Let's go back to Bethany. Have you ever wondered what went wrong, church? Made the people change their disposition towards Jesus? Have you ever wondered what went wrong? Made them go from calling Jesus their king to calling him a criminal? Jesus goes in and Jesus goes out. Well, the next day, Jesus goes back to Jerusalem. And on, on his way, Mark tells us this fascinating story. It, it feels a little bit random about a fig tree. You know, it says that Jesus was hungry. He sees a fig tree. It had leaves. Jesus goes up to the fig tree. He didn't find any figs. Then again, it was out of season. We wouldn't expect figs, would we? And then Jesus curses the tree and keeps right on going. Is that random? A little bit. Okay, well, anyways, Jesus goes back into Jerusalem. All right, now we're back into the thick of the story, right? Jesus goes back into Jerusalem. Jesus goes back into the temple. But this time, no one's chanting his name. This time, no one's swearing their loyalty to his kingdom. Nope. He had his chance. Sufficiently disappointed them last time. So this time, Jesus enters the temple. Not that big of a deal. But then, almost out of nowhere, Jesus just blows a gasket. I mean, he just completely flips the lid and he starts flipping over tables. He starts driving people out of the temple. He starts driving the, the animals, the goats, the doves, everything, the money changers. He makes a whip of uh, cords and starts driving people out. Imagine being the disciples in this moment, just for a second. Jesus, what are you doing? This is the temple. I mean, don't get me wrong, like, we all have strong opinions about how the temple should work, right? But this is the temple! Like, there's some things you don't just do. And it's, it's not like the money changers and, and, and the people selling the animals, it's not like they didn't have any business being there. No, they did, because, I mean, after all, in the temple you've got to give sacrifices, right? Sacrifice goats, you sacrifice doves, okay? You've got people, you have Jewish women and men coming from all over the Roman Empire to offer their sacrifices there. 
Let me ask you guys a question. Have you ever tried walking from Rome to Jerusalem with a live goat? Let me tell you what, it is way easier just buy the goat when you are already there. Okay? Have you ever tried catching two doves? That's a, that, that requires some specialty. It is way easier to just buy the doves when you get there. Right? So it, it's useful to have people at the temple selling goats. It's useful to have people at the temple selling the doves. That helps people worship, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and the money changers, like, okay, we, it's not like they were doing banking there. You know, I mean, people coming from all over the empire, you're using Roman coins, am I correct? And Roman coins have whose faces on them? Caesar. Caesar. They have what we could call a graven image. Now, you're, you're, you're a good Jewish woman and man in the first century. Are you going to go into the temple carrying a graven image in your pocket? Oh, no, we wouldn't do that. So you need to have someone at the temple changing the money, right? So you don't bring a graven image into the temple? Come on, Jesus, don't you see? That these people are useful. We got many useful things in our church, don't we? You got, you know, churches sometimes have ATMs in the back to help people with their giving. Sometimes we got bookstores. People can buy Bibles at the bookstores in the church, right? That's good, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes we got gyms and recreational facilities and clubhouses and, you know, country clubs and everything. But the list goes, you know, y'all know what I'm saying, right? It's not so bad, is it? I mean... Can you imagine the walk back with the disciples after Jesus does this? I mean, one, you, you spend the last several years walking with Jesus, okay? And then all of a sudden, he keeps gone into the temple many times. All of a sudden, he goes in this time and just loses it and starts rearranging furniture. Okay? Can you imagine the walk back? How awkward that must have been for the disciples? Jesus, fuming as he marches out of Jerusalem, the disciples ten paces behind Someone needs to say something to him. You said, I'm not saying it. Did you see what he did? I'm not saying anything. John, you say something. He likes you. It's just a series of events that we just don't see coming, you know? Jesus goes into Jerusalem and everyone's calling his name. All eyes are on him. He walks into the temple and does nothing. And then he comes back the next day. People aren't really paying attention. That's when he does something. Jesus, like, you've got to work on your timing or something. You know, you'd think it would make sense to do something when everyone was paying attention. He definitely got people's attention this time around, that's for sure. Jesus comes in, and Jesus goes out. Day two. So the next morning, the disciples are walking with Jesus back into Jerusalem, back towards the temple. Not exactly sure what they're expecting this day, gotta be honest. Jesus has surprised them a couple of times so far. Things may still be a little bit awkward, but it's okay. We can always trust Peter to open his mouth, am I correct? Let me tell you guys what, okay, we need to thank God for foot and mouth syndrome, okay? If not, there would be a lot of awkward silences in our world, okay? Thank God for Peter. And so Peter's walking with Jesus, and Peter says, Lord, funny thing happened to that tree over there. And Jesus turns around. Why is that so funny? And then Jesus starts teaching them about prayer. Actually, listen to what Jesus says. He says, have faith in God. And truly, I tell you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he has said is going to happen, it will be granted to him. 
Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. When you stand praying, forgive if, any, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. Prayer? Where did that come from? I mean, it's like changing channels all the time with Jesus, isn't it? You walk in, everyone's calling his name, and he does nothing. Okay, then he comes in the next day, and he cleanses the temple, draws a little bit of attention that way, and now you're talking about a fig tree, and all of a sudden he starts teaching about prayer. I mean, it's almost as if prayer was just a thing that was on Jesus' mind. We don't know how that is, right? We've got something that weighs heavy on our hearts. Doesn't matter what we're talking about, it always finds some way to come up. Mm-hmm. But then again, you remember what Jesus said when he was in the temple, rearranging things, right? Driving people out. After all, he did begin to teach them and say, Is it not written, My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The temple was supposed to be a house of prayer. Not just a house of prayer for the Jewish people. This was supposed to be a house of prayer for all people. But apparently when Jesus looked around, he didn't see a whole lot of prayer in the house of prayer. Mm -hmm. He just saw business. Business that was making money off of the expenses of others. He just saw a den of robbers. The temple wasn't serving its purpose. But why would this weird fig tree lead Jesus to start teaching about prayer again? Well, let me think. Jesus comes upon a fig tree that has no figs. Did the fig tree survive that encounter with Jesus? So what do you think is going to happen to the house of prayer that has no prayer? You see, my friends, if that fig tree didn't serve its purpose, didn't survive its encounter with Jesus, then what does it mean for the temple, the house of prayer, that has no prayer? Let us pause for just a moment and recognize there's probably a reason why Mark tells us that it was not the season of figs. Because, my friends, can we ever use the excuse that it is not the season of prayer? Oh, no, my friends, we need to be ready in season and out of season. You see, my friends, Mark includes this seemingly random story about a fig tree for a purpose. If this is what happens when the fig tree that has no figs encounters Jesus, what do y'all think is going to happen to the house of prayer that has no prayer? And my friends, if you will permit me for just a moment, I would like to camp out at this spot for, for just a second for a little bit of theologizing. Something that we see in this story is that an encounter with Jesus, truth be told, can be a very sobering experience. Yes. We all know what that's like to have that encounter with Jesus, right? You know, that encounter when, when things just become so real. That encounter when the presence of God just envelopes us. That encounter when, when, when all of a sudden, it, it doesn't matter all the mess in our lives. We know our God loves us and will always stand by us. You guys know that encounter, right? Yes. But that encounter can also inspire some remarkable soul searching. Can't you? That Encounter can also inspire a little bit of self-reflection. Because after all, we do not want to be the fig tree without any figs, now do we? And we definitely don't want to be the house of prayer that has no prayer to the church. 
See, God gives us all a purpose. And sometimes it can be a sobering moment to have an encounter with Jesus when we feel like we're not walking in that purpose. God calls us all to something. And, and there are times when, when it, it, it can be a little bit uncomfortable to have that encounter with Jesus. When we don't feel like we're walking in harmony with the will that He has laid out for our lives. Amen. And can, can I be honest, church? Amen. Sometimes that, that can even lead us to avoid those experiences with Jesus, can it? You know, when, when, when we feel like we're just not bearing the fruit that God has called us to bear in our lives, when, when we feel like we're, we're just not walking the path that God has called us to walk, and sometimes that, that discomfort can lead us to, to try to avoid those moments when we come face to face with Jesus. Those moments that lead us to search our own hearts and maybe to ask that question, am I lacking the purpose that God has called me to? I mean, sometimes it's just easy to stay home on Sunday mornings, right? Yeah. Because yeah. if, if I come, I'm going to have to confront that. So, so sometimes, you know, I, I, I may... I, I, the altar call comes, and I, I know there's part of me that, that wants to converse with my God, but uh, there's part of me who says, maybe not now. Maybe I should wait until I clean up some things first. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yes, my friends. Truth be told, sometimes when we find ourselves in that position... When we feel like that fig tree is not bearing any figs. When we feel like that house of prayer that just doesn't have any prayer. It may feel more comfortable for us just to avoid the whole thing, doesn't it? You know, my friends, for some of us, that may be the word we need to hear today. For some of us, that may be the word that we need to hear today. May have been a while since we felt like we've walked in God's purposes for our lives. Maybe we've even avoided confronting that. Maybe we've even avoided those experiences that would lead us to confront that. But my friends, I'm here to tell you, Jesus doesn't come to serve our purposes. Jesus comes so that we might serve His. That is to say, my friends, yeah. that uh, if it has been a while since we have felt like we walked in harmony with God's purpose for our life, that maybe Jesus is the very encounter that we are in need of this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Because you see, my friends, so often when, 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 when I think about spiritual experiences, when I think about a spiritual experience with God or, or a spiritual experience with Jesus, sometimes I don't always stop to think about what that means. Because so many times when I want to call out to God, I end up sounding a lot more like that crowd, don't I? I'll proclaim my loyalty to the king, and I'll proclaim my loyalty to the kingdom that I want him to set up. Because so many times when I cry out, Hosanna, Lord save us, when I want to welcome him into Jerusalem, it's because I have plans. And then I invite him in. So many times, when I call out, it's because I have plans for what I want God to do with me, not because I want the plans that He has for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing, my friends. When Jesus comes in, He does not come in to serve our agendas. He comes in so that we might serve His. He does not come right. in to serve our purposes. He comes so that we may serve the purposes of God. He does not come to do all of the things that we want Him to do. He comes so that we might do what God has called us to. And so, my friends, if we ever find ourselves in that position 
where we feel like we've lost that purpose, where we feel like we've lost that calling, it sounds to me like Jesus just might be the encounter that we need. Can I take it one step further? I think it might be worth reflecting while we are sitting here this morning. We are sitting here in our sacred space, are we not, church? Oh, we are sitting here in our sanctuary, are we not, church? We are sitting here in our house of prayer, are we not, church? So it might be worth asking, what purpose are we one fellowship called to serve in our community? Because after all, our sacred spaces, they symbolize something, don't they? Our, our sanctuaries, they symbolize something. They mean something. They should mean something to the community. And so my question is, when, when people drive down the streets and they see the sign of our church, what do we represent to them? Do they see this place, this sanctuary, as a symbol of hope? Do they see this church, this community, as, as a place where you can always find the love of God? Do they know that you can always find prayer in the house of prayer? Are we yielding the fruit that God has placed us here to yield? Because you know, my friends, we're in a very unique position, aren't we? We're a new church, and we've got deep roots. Oh, my friends, and so imagine the fruit that God can call us to yield here today. But my friends, there's one more thing I want us to see about this passage. There's one more thing I want us to see this morning. One more detail. You see, my friends, I want us to take note of where Jesus is when he tells his disciples to pray. You see, space is very important inside of these stories. Uh, location oftentimes can symbolize things inside of the gospel accounts. In fact, many times when, when people in the ancient Mediterranean world told stories, they did not even arrange their stories chronologically as we do today. Many times when they tell stories, they arrange them geographically because different locations can carry different symbolism. And so I want us to pay attention to where Jesus is when he commissions his disciples to pray. Yeah. You see, my friends, the Gospel of Luke, Luke is a great example. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus starts out in Galilee. And then beginning in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, the text tells us that from that moment on, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Yeah. And from that moment on in the Gospel of Luke, every single story takes place one step closer to Jerusalem. The purpose of this is because Luke wants us to understand that the goal of Jesus' life, the goal of Jesus' mission, the purpose for Jesus being here in this world is ultimately going to reach its climax in Jerusalem. Right. Luke arranges his story geographically because space has meaning. Place has meaning. And we find the same thing in the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark begins in Galilee, the first half of the Gospel, all throughout Galilee. Second half of the Gospel is all about Jerusalem. And what we find in our passage here today, when we're talking about this last week of Jesus' life, is how often Mark will tell us that Jesus was going in and that Jesus was going out. How often Mark will tell us that Jesus goes into Jerusalem and one story takes place there. And then Jesus goes out of Jerusalem. And another story takes place there. Jesus goes into the sacred space, the temple, and then Jesus goes out. And so my friends, as, 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 you're, as, as you read through these stories, I encourage you, take note of how often Mark tells us 
that Jesus was going in and Jesus was going out. Take note of what stories happen in the sacred space and what stories happen outside of the sacred space. What stories take place outside of the walls of Jerusalem, outside of the temple? Jesus comes in and Jesus goes out. And what strikes me about this particular method of telling a story is that when Jesus moves into the sacred space, he begins cleaning house. But my friends, when the house of prayer, that house of prayer that lacks prayer, Jesus comes in and he needs to shake some things up. But you see, my friends, once he moves out from that sacred space, it is out there where he tells his disciples to be disciples of prayer. It is outside of the sacred space, outside of the sanctuary, where he will commission them to pray. Yes, Lord. Tell someone it's out there. Turn and tell someone it's out there. Because you see, my friends, when we come into our sacred spaces, to our sanctuary, there is so much here that reminds us to pray. There is so much here that reminds us to bring ourselves before our God in worship. We've, 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 we've got our, our crucifix, we've got symbols, we've, we've got our, our music, our, our praise team. So much in here is designed to remind us when we come in here, we've come into a space of worship, a space of prayer. But you see, my friends, I submit to you that Jesus wants his disciples to be bringing the prayer out there. Turn and tell someone it's out there. Because you see, my friends, it's out there. Outside the walls of our sacred spaces where we face the mountains in our lives that need to be laid low. Turn and tell someone it's out there. It's out there where we face the valleys that we need to be raised up in our lives. Turn and tell someone it's out there. My friends, it's out there where we face our trials and our tribulations. It's out there, my friends, where we need to bring the prayer. Turn and tell someone it's out there. You see, my friends, the disciples of Christ, we need to bring prayer where? We need to bring our mission where? We need to bring our calling where? My friends, the community should know that they can always come in here to find the love of God. Amen? The community should know that they can always come in here to find hope. Amen? The community should know they can always come here to find prayer. But my friends, we need disciples that are not going to wait in here. We need disciples that are willing to bring the love out there. Yeah. We need disciples that are willing to bring the hope out there. We need disciples of Jesus that are willing to bring our calling, our commissioning, that are living, willing to live out the walk of Jesus outside of these walls, my friends. We need people who will not wait for brokenhearted to come through our doors. Yes. Yes. We need disciples that are ready to go out there. Yes. Our communities need prayer out there. Our families need encouragement out there. Our community leaders need armor bearers who will hold them up in times of trial out there, my friends. We need disciples that will live out their calling out there. Turn and tell someone it's out there. You see, my friends, when we ask what mission God has for us, what purpose has God placed us here for? Not just as individuals, as a community, as one fellowship. What do we represent to our community? When we contemplate the fruit that we are to bear in this world, my friends, one thing is for sure. Whatever that fruit is, we need to be able to bring it out there. Yeah. It should be something beyond our sanctuary. Yes, Lord. 
The brokenhearted can always find love here. People in need of prayer, the nation should always be able to find prayer here. But we need Christians, disciples of Jesus, who will follow that calling out there. For some of us, my friends, as we close, for some of us, we may feel uncomfortable going out there. And there's a variety of reasons why. Sometimes we just don't feel ready. Sometimes we just don't feel prepared. Sometimes we just don't feel confident. But there's one thing we see in this story. Jesus comes in and Jesus goes out. There is a coming in and there is a going out. And my friends, if we are looking for that going out, maybe some of us need to start by inviting someone to come in. I don't know what we're facing here this morning. I don't know what mountains wait for us out there. Or what valleys we will face out there. What trials we have to face when we go through these walls. But for us to impact our community, we want disciples that are going to bring the prayer out there to no matter what we're going to face. We want disciples who are going to bring the love out there to no matter what we're facing. We can be the church where this place symbolizes something to our community and everything that it symbolizes, we're willing to take out there. Where is our purpose, church? It's out there. Where are we called to live out our calling, church? Out there. Where do we want to be bearing our fruit, church? Out there. My name is Nicholas Wurst. I'm the executive minister here at One Fellowship Church in Waco, Texas. I just want to say thank you for listening. You can learn more about our church online at onefellowshipumc.org. And you can like us on Facebook to stay up to date with all of the latest events in our community. Please feel free to share this message and others online so that more people can learn about what God is doing here at One Fellowship. Thank you and God bless.